Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen, amen. I mean, this morning, amen. We have, uh, we have no doubt uh, had a great time at camp so far. I mean, I, I know a, a typical camp meeting. Uh, Wednesday is, is usually just slow. It's a kickstart. Um, but Texas is different. Amen. And we, we kicked it off right off the bat. We didn't take our time. <laughs> Amen. And it's Thursday morning. We're already two services in. And I believe God is getting ready to move in a powerful way. And then because it's by the foolishness of preaching that men are saved. Amen. This, uh, this morning, all the way from the Oklahoma district, he is uh, the pastor of the Rock Church in uh, Wilberton, Oklahoma. He is the Oklahoma Youth President. He is the uh, AYC Coordinator, newly appointed, I believe, AYC Coordinator. He is uh, the father of three. I mean, I, I know how that feels. That's rough stuff. Father of three. But more than that, more than that, he is uh, an anointed man of God. Amen. And I believe that God has given him a word for the men of Texas District this morning. So we want to welcome him to the pulpit, Brother Daniel Taylor. Have your liberty and preach your heart. Thank you, Brother Sams. Come on, let's give the Lord a great hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. I am a father of three. Two of mine are missing. And, uh, and so I got a lot better rest last night. No, we're so glad to be here. It's such a great honor. Man, did Brother Lang preach to us last night or what? <laughs> Woo! I was going to preach that exact same thing verbatim today, but he beat me to it. And uh, so I guess I'll have to preach something else. Thanks, brother. I appreciate that. Uh, no, we're having a great time. Let's give great honor to... Uh, Bishop Gray and the district board, thank you for the invitation to come. Brother Nichols does a great job planning this camp out. We thank you so much. And I, I want to say, uh, give special honor to Brother Chad McQueen, who's been your uh, several years now. Uh, Absalt Crusaders president has done an excellent job. We've had the privilege to serve together uh, as assistant national directors for the Absalt Crusaders. We've been on trips together. There has been more than one very small car that Brother Chad McQueen and I have shared uh, in Jamaica or rather in Israel. Brother Vickery, I was just remembering about our dash to the airport, uh, and it was me, you, and Chad McQueen in that little bitty car and all of our luggage. And it, and it seemed like we were trying to escape something. That driver was crazy. I'll never forget it. And uh, I thought, man, you, can't, uh, you cannot put a price on spending time overseas uh, doing stuff because sometimes it just gets weird. Whoa, the devil thought he had me, but I got away. All right, we can go home. I killed the last wasp, I think. We can have church now. All right. So, man, we appreciate you guys so much and give you all great honor. Let's turn to the book of Nehemiah so we can try to get this back on track. Because if I see another wasp, I'm going to kill that one too. Praise God. Praise God. 
Man, uh, while you're turning to Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17, just want to say thank you to all the hospitality. Man, this music team has been excellent to work with. Uh, the food and the room and whoever made the baskets. And I just we've just been treated like absolute royalty. And we thank you so much. And uh, one last thing that I would say uh, about your district superintendent. I'm so excited to hear him speak to us in the morning. Uh, man, if you spend any time around him, and I know that I don't have to tell you guys this, but he'll have you convinced just by talking to him that you can run through a troop and leap over a wall. I'm convinced that with Bishop Gray at your back, there's really not anything that you can't accomplish. And I'm not even in your district. I'm motivated to do so much stuff right now. Uh, I'm just excited about what God is going to do in that service tomorrow. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17. If you're there, say amen. amen. Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. He said, Come. Let us uh, build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. And you don't have to go there, but I'm going to turn to Nehemiah 4 and verse 1. This is getting the construction of the wall. But it came to pass that when Sambalat heard that we built the wall, he was wroth. And took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. And he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Amen. I want to preach to you for a few moments this morning in this men's service if I can. The devil hates a wall. The devil hates a wall. Will you help me pray just one more time this morning? Jesus, we love you. God, we're so thankful for your power and your presence in this place. God, we thank you for the word today. God, we know that it won't return void, but God, I pray that you would speak to our Speak to us in this place. Open our eyes and ears and our hearts to receive the word. God, anoint these lips of clay to deliver it this morning. And in Jesus' name, God, we give you praise for it right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody shout in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. Thought I was getting attacked by that wasp's cousin. All right. In his poem, Mending Fences, Robert Frost writes, Something there is that doesn't love a wall. He will not go behind his father's saying, and he likes having thought of it so well, he says it again. Good fences make good neighbors. If you spend time reading this poem that was written by Robert Frost, there's a stone wall that separates the speaker's property from his neighbor's property. In spring, the two meet together to walk the wall and jointly make repairs. The speaker sees no reason for the wall to be kept. There are no cows to be contained, just apple and pine trees. He does not believe in walls for the sake of walls. The neighbor resorts to an old adage, however. He says, no, sir, good fences make good neighbors. The speaker remains unconvinced and mischievously presses the neighbor 
to look beyond the old-fashioned folly of such reasoning. His neighbor will not be swayed, however. The speaker envisions his neighbor as a holdover from a justifiably outmoded era, a living example, if you would, of a dark age mentality. But the neighbor simply repeats the adage, good fences make good neighbors. Amen. In the opening story of Nehemiah, we see a man who is grieved that he has such a high position in the court of King Xerxes while the ancestral Jerusalem lie in waste. Nehemiah, a man who had achieved success in a foreign land, in a captive court, he was cupbearer to the emperor of the known world at that time in history. He had everything that he needed by the world standards, but he was more concerned with the fact that God's people had no natural boundaries to protect them from their adversaries. Could you imagine for a moment being in such high esteem and high regard with your captor that uh, I know that many of us probably wouldn't be excited about being somebody's cupbearer because uh, we're the first line in the poison control, amen? However, you got to understand that being the cupbearer of the king meant that you were at the king's bedside when he woke up in the morning and you were at the breakfast table and you were at the lunch table and the dinner table. Every time the counselors came in, you were there. Amen. When the king was by himself, you were there. And the king and Nehemiah had gotten to know each other so well that the king could see on Nehemiah's face that he was grieved and he asked him, what's wrong with you? What's the matter with you today? He said, I'm grieved. He said, I'm grieved because I have all of this, but the house of God lies in waste in Jerusalem. And there's no walls and no boundaries for my people in Jerusalem. You know, and really he's pleading with the king because what he's also saying is, uh, oh, king, there's no walls to protect your people. Because since they had been conquered, those were now his people. Your people lie in waste. Your people have no walls. Your people have no houses. Your people don't have a place to worship. I've come to tell somebody that uh, I, don't, I don't mean to piggyback on what I preached yesterday, but God can give us favor with men. God can give us favor with authority so much to the point that they might subscribe, they might not subscribe to our doctrine, they might not worship our God, they may not worship in our houses of worship, but they can see on our face that we have a need. And God opened up an avenue for Nehemiah. He said, I've got to go back. I've got to go build the house. And I've got to go build the wall. And so you know the story. The king releases Nehemiah to go and rebuild the wall that had been broken down. But one of the things I love about this story is not only did he go to rebuild the wall, but Nehemiah sent him with a blank check. He said, not only are you going to rebuild the wall, but everybody. Y'all don't get mad at me, but Donald Trump must have read the Bible. Not only are you going to rebuild the wall, but everybody else is going to pay for it. He said, you're going to stop over at this place on the way, and they're going to give you what you need. And you're going to stop at that place, and... They're going to give you what you need. And you're going to go on down the street over here. And they're going to give you what you need. This is your purchase order. The king's paying for it. The empire is going to put it on our checkbook. But how many know that even when there is a reprieve, there's still folks that didn't sign up for this. We found those guys in Nehemiah chapter 4. Sambalat said, 
Who do they think they are? Reconstructing boundaries. Who do they think? We've got, we've got these guys just where we want them. The walls are crumbled down. We can come and go as we please. They have no place to worship. Their family is open to us. We could come in and do whatever. We got the run of this place. Who do they think they are coming back and deciding that they're going to rebuild boundaries and that they're going to build a wall? And inside the wall, there's going to be a gate, and the gate's going to be able to lock, and we're not going to be able to come and go just as we want to come and go. Who do these people think they are? You know, and then, and then, you, got, then you got his buddy that pops up. He says, don't worry, don't worry. He said, even if a fox go up against it, it's going to crumble down. He said, you know, it reminds me, Brother Lang, of, of, uh, of the writer when he said, it is the little foxes that spoil the vine, for our love hath tender grapes. He's looking at them and saying, don't worry about the boundaries that they're putting up because it, the little things are still going to crumble it down. It'll still be the little things. You don't have to be anything big, just the little. We don't need any siege engines uh, because they're, they're not, they're not going to be able to stand. Uh, I mean, come on. I think we understand that Sambalat is a type and shadow of the devil. Who do they think that they are that's going to be building boundaries up around their families and boundaries up around their churches and boundaries up around their homes? And, and here we come. Uh, we got that same spirit that says, don't worry. Uh, I tell you, I know what pushes their buttons. We'll just send a little fox up there. And the little fox, you know, the little ones that spoil the vine uh, that because our love hath tender grapes. Uh, he said, they'll go up there and they'll just tear the wall down. And it'll be the little things and it'll all come to naught. But what they did not take into account was that there was a group of guys who was serious about heading on back to the homeland and rebuilding what others had allowed to be torn down. And they said, we're not leaving this place until we have a wall that works. We're not leaving this place until we have gates. We're not leaving this place until we have a lock on the door. He said, we will have boundaries around our family. Amen, amen. Let me, let me slow down just a quick minute. I know that this is, this is the men's service, so I'm just going to preach like I think we need to be preached to. We're living in a society right now that wants open borders to our families. They want open access to your family. If they can't get it on the TV, they'll get them in the school system. If they can't get them in the public school system, just wait till you foot the bill for a high uh, college and university bill, and they'll get them in there. I've never had, and some of you might be, but I've never had a, a college professor that wasn't a bleeding liberal. Simply for the sake of being liberal. Don't have any boundaries. We don't need any boundaries. That's the reason that the church world hates holiness so much because it's boundaries. It's, 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 it, it seems restrictive, right? These are things that I can't do. These are things that I shouldn't do. These are things that the preacher don't want me to do. These are things that the organization says uh, I can't do if I keep my license. Uh, but we understand uh, that they're not restrictive but they are protective. Uh, amen. And when we build boundaries around our lives and build boundaries around our families and we build and preach boundaries around our churches, we are protecting ourselves from an enemy that wants open access. I know that the Bible doesn't probably uh, talk about this directly in this passage because it's not the main theme of the story. But if you go back through history, there's some terrible things that happen to people who don't have walls. Their children are sold into slavery. 
I mean, the majority of Israel has been carried away into captivity. Even the chiefest of the princes by this time have been eating the king's meat. They've been drinking the king's wine. They've been accustomed and readopted into a Babylonian style of living. Right? And, uh, and, and so what we need to understand is that the enemy is working day and night, overtime, if you would, to get a hold of our minds and our hearts and to get a hold of our children. Now, I know it seems like this might be redundant to preach at Texas camp meeting when all of us men are in here and we're so holy and we don't have any struggles and everything in our families are great and none of our kids are doing stuff online they shouldn't do and all of our kids are living for God and everybody's in good shape. But let me tell you right now, I know that that's not true. I don't even have to be in the Holy Ghost to know that everybody in this house has got to do a better job of building walls and constructing boundaries in their family's lives. I think if there's ever been a job for a man of God to do in 2021, it's to get a tool in his hand and start constructing a wall. You might be coming back out of a backslidden state. You might be dealing with a backslidden family, but even the rubble of the boundaries that used to be there are still present, and the enemy knows that if you would just pick that up and revive out of the heaps, God is going to protect your family. There's never been a greater hour for holiness preaching. Now, I'm going to know my place, but I'll say this. I believe that God, I'm not preaching predestination, but I believe that God did not reserve his greatest holiness preachers for the days of the past. When my grandparents came to God, everybody pretty much looked the same. Women didn't wear jewelry because... Everyone was too poor to afford any. Everybody looked holiness. There come a point in time where people look less and less and less holiness. Amen. Even the denominal churches spoke in tongues. Even the denominal churches shouted. They come up in a time where everybody was pretty similar. Holiness looked very much like the culture around it for a time being until the culture left holiness behind. I asked my grandpa one time, I said, Papa, what did they preach against when you were a young man? He said, everything. He said, if you could have a good time at it, it was wrong. Amen. Living in 2021, they might have had a point. They didn't want you to be distracted. They wanted you to go to work. They wanted you to love your family. Amen. Feed your children. Train them up. Train them to be patriots. Come on, somebody. Train them to love their country. Train them to love their neighbor. They didn't want you out there at the moving picture shows. and They didn't want you out there doing this and doing that. They just wanted you to love God, and they wanted you to love people. But I'm telling you uh, that I don't believe that the greatest holiness preachers that have ever preached this gospel have even preached yet because I believe that God has reserved his greatest holiness preachers and his greatest holiness message for a day and time in which the church needs to be the polar opposite of the world like never before. Christianity is supposed to be the anti-culture. The culture of this world says do what you want, do it how you want, do it when you want, do it with whoever that you want. Amen. But God says you've got to have boundaries. You've got to construct boundaries in your life. You got Come on, good fences make good neighbors. I can respect people who disagree with me, but this is where I draw the line. Well, Brother Taylor, talking about boundaries and, and holiness and standards, that's all just so restrictive. 
It doesn't take a smart man to know that every good wall has a gate. Gates are for going out and they're for coming in. In the Bible days, the gates were shut at dusk, right? When you approached the gate, you couldn't wear a hood. You couldn't wear a mask. They wouldn't survive coronavirus. You couldn't wear a mask. The watcher on the wall had to be able to see who you were or what you looked like. They needed to know if you were dangerous or not. So many of us right now, we've got such openness with our children and our families on media that, that uh, we won't worry about the gate at night. We'll just go to bed, and who knows what our kids are looking at, and who knows what's looking at them, and who knows what's talking to them, and who's talking to them, and what, and what they're reading, and who knows what type, of, what type of mess that they're reading online that's causing them to, to have doubt their faith in Christ and doubt their faith in this apostolic doctrine. I want you to hear me right now. We're going to have to do a better job of closing up the gaps uh, and closing up the boundaries. Something there is uh, that does not like a wall. And I don't like that something. I still believe more than anything in my life uh, that we've got to have boundaries around our children and we've got to have boundaries around our churches. Uh, we've got to have boundaries around our own lives and our own hearts. Something there is that does not like a wall. The devil hates a wall. But brother, you preach about walls. That's just so restrictive. It's like you're creating a prison for people to live in. That sounds exactly like something that the devil would say. That he would call a prison what is meant to be protection. Gates open and they shut. Things come in and they go out. If you want it to come in, the gate is open. If you don't want it to come in, the gate is shut. There's nothing wrong with being restrictive. My kids get mad at me sometimes. Lincoln's here, but he won't say anything because he might say something out of turn. So he doesn't have to agree with me. But there's, there's certain things that they can't watch. There's certain apps that they can't have. There's, there's, there's certain things that I don't let them read. Well, brother, you're really shutting them in. You better believe I'm shutting them in. What I'm really doing is I'm shutting everything else out. <laughs> I'll just drop this. To be on our platform at The Rock, you can't have Snapchat on your phone. Hello, somebody. I don't need that mess. Some of y'all pastors out there thinking, I don't see nothing wrong with Snapchat. Just wait a minute. And when Snapchat's over, they'll find a new way to get your people. They'll find a new way. Secret sin thrives because it's secret. That's why Scripture says that confession is good for the soul. Right? Because sin corrupts. It doesn't have to corrupt externally. It'll corrupt you internally. It's the same issue that pastors and preachers get into and ministers 
Amen. When you've got secret issues that you can't talk about to nobody, and it just continues to eat at you and eat at you and eat at you. And all that you really need to do is get on down to the heaps of the boundaries that you allowed the enemy to destroy in your life and start putting stone back on top of stone. And it kind of looks like building an altar, doesn't it? Just put stone on top of stone and keep on finishing it out. Get a tool in your hand. Get a weapon in your belt and say, I'm not going to let this go anymore. Before I go too much further, I want to remind everybody that while some of the guys were building the wall, there was a whole other group of guys that was building the temple. And they were instructed that they could not build their own houses until they built the house of God. This, this, will, be, this will be my one thing that I say today that hopefully I don't get in trouble for but I think apostolic men have spent more time building your own houses we wonder why kids love baseball more than they love the house of God we wonder why kids love academia more than the word of God we wonder why our kids uh, love football they're not going to make the NFL. I hate to break it to you. We, 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 we wonder why they love basketball more than this. We wonder why they love these other things more than that. We wonder why they love these worldly girls more than they love girls in the church. Come on, somebody. We wonder why our daughters love worldly boys more than they love boys that they can find in an altar. I tell you why. Because we spent so much time building our own houses that we have neglected the house of God. Amen. It is important to build the boundaries, but it's important to build his house. They said, you'll sleep under the stars. Until the house of God is built. You'll sleep in a tent until the house of God is built. Don't you touch a single stone. Don't you hang a single door. Don't you do anything until his house is built. So Nehemiah 4 and 15 it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us that God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, everyone unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows and the habergens and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which built it on the wall and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side and so builded and he that sounded the trumpet was by me. Now I know this is simple. You guys have heard this preached your whole lives. But I want us to remember that every man, somebody say every man. Every man had a tool for building. I hear, I hear guys, and, and I've, I've been around Pentecost my whole life. and I, I've met different folks and different ones, and, and this is none of you guys because you're all amazing. But I know guys that they're just not interested in building anything. They, they like to fight, but they don't like to build. They like to murder stuff. But they're not much on the building part. They like to rattle sabers, but they don't really have enough substance to build anything. <laughs> but the Bible says that the builders all had swords on their hip and they had tools in their hand. There were some fighters that that's just what they did. That's what their talent was and that's what their job was. But uh, the builders... They still had to fight too. I think we got to do a good enough job understanding who's good for fighting and who's good for building. 
Amen. Maybe we don't let the fighters build the wall, but we let the builders build the wall. But when it all comes down to it, everybody's got to fight. He said, the trumpeter was by me. So whenever I saw danger, he said, I would have the guy blow the trumpet. And then everybody was to drop their building tools, uh, and everybody was to get together and form up and get ready to fight. Can I tell you right now that you can't be so busy building that you're not ready to fight at the moment that you hear the trumpet. I don't think we can forget that we're not just about building churches and about building missions projects and just about building this and that, that we forget that we are to be engaged in spiritual warfare. Amen. It doesn't do any good to build a wall around your family if you're unwilling to fight for it. The enemy doesn't want it. Something there is that does not like a wall. The devil hates a wall. Whether you are an elder in this place today or you are young men who don't have families yet, I'm telling you that you better get it in your mind, uh, amen, that you are a wall builder and a wall protector, that you are a fighter when you need to fight and a worshiper when you need to worship, come on, and a builder when you need to build, uh, amen. You got to get well-rounded enough in Scripture that you know whether you're doing good or whether you're messing stuff up, uh, and you got to get to work uh, and guard your family and protect your family and protect your church. Pastors, we can't just let whoever on our platforms. If they preach false doctrine, they don't get to preach at the rock. They don't get to have concerts at our place. Woo. That's ministering in song. We love our community. We love our denominal churches. But sometimes we have to love them on the other side of our wall. Because at a certain time of day, it's time to shut the gate. They're welcome to come to our revivals, and they're welcome to worship with us, and they're welcome to be in the room, but we're not tossing them the mic. And they're, gonna, they're not going to hop up and tell our people how to be saved. Come on, come on. They're not going to hop up and tell our people how to live holy and how to live separated. When you build a wall around your church, you got gates for opening and gates for closing. And we're going to have enough discernment to know when to open the gate and when to close the gate. But when somebody tries to beat the gate down, uh, it's time to draw the sword and say, you're not going to come a minute further. Uh, amen. If we don't get you with the bow, uh, we'll get you with the spears. And if we don't get you with the spears, you'll get close enough for the sword and we'll handle it down. But you're not taking one piece off of this wall. It's already been torn down. Uh, you're not going to tear it down again. And let me speak specifically to our younger generation right now. It wasn't necessarily Nehemiah's generation that was responsible for their wall being destroyed. But it was Nehemiah's generation that said, we're going to build it. If, if your family doesn't live holiness, you can still be holiness. If your family went from believing one God into three gods, you can still believe one. Come on, if your family went soft and said you could be baptized any other way, 
You can live under the conviction that there's no other name under heaven. Give among men whereby we must be saved. Come on, somebody. I'm here to, if your family had a moral failure, you don't have to have a moral failure. Come on. If your family had a, had a, uh, had a ministry and they're not in it anymore, you can have a ministry. I've come to tell somebody. All it takes is somebody who's willing to build some boundaries and who's willing to build some things in your life and who's willing to protect it with everything that you are. Jude 1 and 20 says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. How can we build? We can grow doctrinally strong and engage in personal and corporate development in the doctrine. I don't think we should ever shy away from hearing great doctrine. I love going to conference and hearing flashy preaching, but what I've determined right now, and I'm only fixing to be 36, but, uh, you know, I've been, been senior pastor for about five, going on six years now, and I tell you what I love more than anything, Brother Lang, I just like to hear doctrine. It's not always super exciting, but I love it. It's what nourishes me. I like to go to conference and hear doctrine. This year at GMC, we had a oneness symposium that was fantastic. I love to hear doctrine. There wasn't a whole lot of sugar on it. Wasn't a whole lot of candy being passed out. And I think we ought to have good church like that. But I don't think we ought to shy away from doctrine. And I'll tell you something else, dads. I don't, and grandpas and uncles and whoever that you are, I don't think we ought to shy away from talking about doctrine with our children. I think we ought to let our children know that some folks that we're connected with, uh, they may not live it quite like you live it, but that's no reason not to live it like you live it. Amen. Just because somebody else has opened up the gates don't mean you need to open up the gates. Just because somebody else lets their kids do whatever, that means you need to let your kids do whatever. The devil hates a wall. You understand that understand that we can't go and snatch up the devil and wring his neck. But every man did have a weapon. And in 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God and the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I'm just going to say this and I'm going to move on. It's, it's just temptation until you act on it. Somebody said the heart wants what the heart wants. The Bible says the heart is wickedly deceitful. I, I've known some, some good friends in ministry that let the heart want what the heart wanted. And they ruin their whole lives and their whole ministry. All because they weren't willing to bring their thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. James 4 and 7, I want to remind us, says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I don't know who I'm preaching to right now, but I'm preaching to somebody. There's something that's been encroaching on your property. And it wants to tear your mess down. And it wants to come in on the backside of your property maybe. 
and say, hey, let's not, there's nothing to keep inside this. There's no reason why we should have good boundaries. If we need a revival of anything in 2021, it's a revival of good fences make good neighbors. I can respect a, a devil. I can respect wrong spirit that you're going to do what you do over there, but you're not going to do that over here. Come on, pastors. Uh, there's always somebody and always something that's rubbing up against your wall, trying to get it to, to pull down so that they can get on in. Uh, come on, why don't we just fellowship together a little bit better? I know that we need to be follow peace with all men. But there comes a point in time where we just don't have anything in common. I know this sounds unusual coming from a young man, but I'm telling you the truth. I believe this with all my heart. And I know that if I'm going to make it in ministry and I'm going to last and I'm going to preach this gospel, the unadulterated truth, amen, I'm not going to be able to allow anybody to come tear my walls down. They're not walls to keep me in. They're walls to keep things out that want to hurt me. They want to hurt my family. I appreciate what Brother Lang mentioned uh, last night. It wasn't good enough to just have it on the door. They wanted to have it on the gatepost. Uh, I need you to know the moment that you walk up to the gate, who you're walking into. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We are one God people. I said we are one God people. You don't have to get into conversations of folks about whether you're modalist or Armenian or blah, 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 blah. We are one God people. We've got the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. I'm done doing math for people. I tell them all the time, I said, you know what? The, the God of the Hebrews uh, never forgot how to do math. He was one in the beginning, and he's one now. And you can look at him through the man Jesus Christ, or you can be confused for your whole life. Uh, but it is not debatable. We have to bring every thought to the obedience of Christ. I've spent a lot of time in academia starting my master's program right now as we speak. But I have to be like the Apostle Paul that said, I've forgotten everything that's behind me. I'm reaching forward. He said, I know all these things, and I'm this Hebrew of Hebrews, and I've got all these great accomplishments in my bloodline and in my personal life. He said, but I'm not, I'm not choosing to remember any of that. I'm pressing toward the mark. I don't want to know anything but Christ and Him crucified. Dads, fathers, grandfathers, uncles, young men, we have got to build boundaries around our families. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Back in Babylon, the sound of the trumpet was a signal to worship a false god. But at the holy city, the sound of the trumpet was a call to unity, a call to work together. The devil doesn't mind if you come to church. He just doesn't want you to get connected. I would take that one step further this morning and say that the devil doesn't mind if you speak in tongues. The devil doesn't mind if you shout. The devil doesn't even mind if you look holiness and your wife's looking holy and your children's looking holy. He does mind though. You watch. The moment that you start mending the fences and mending those gaps. He'll leave you alone. But you start removing his access. And that's when you're going to start getting attacked. And attacked. And attacked. 
enemy will try and he'll try and he'll try to find a weak spot in your protection. The devil isn't worried about a group of people who get together and sing songs. But I believe he trembles at the thought of a praying church. I believe he trembles at the thought of people who are strong in doctrine and a church who is unified in praise. The devil hates a wall. The devil hates a wall. If I could do anything to make the devil mad, it would just be shore up my protection. If I could do anything to make the devil mad, it's to pray over my children's minds. My kids don't have privacy. Within reason. They don't own the house, so that's not their door. They can't slam it and they can't lock it. They can't be on their devices after a certain time at night. Lincoln, you'll give me a big amen when I'm done with this. They cannot have their own password on their phone. That's not their phone. Right now, it's not even their life. They can't have their own YouTube account. They can't have their own email. I have their emails, but they don't. There's things that they can't have. Here, I'll take it a step further. I don't have my own password. My wife has my password. When my wife picks up my phone and scrolls through it, I don't get mad and threaten to leave her on the side of the road and say, why are you touching my phone? I just let her look. I'll take it one step further. My wife doesn't have her own password. Something there is that does not like a wall. You want to make the devil mad? Put protections in your family that he cannot penetrate. Take away the mystery. There's no password on my iPad. There is a password, but she knows what it is. She knows the password on my computer. She knows the password to everything. I know her password to everything. There is no opportunity for secrecy, for little pieces of the wall to come undone. Here's what I want us to do this morning, if this would be all right. I think we ought to get together up here in the front, and I think we ought to link up as men today. And I think we ought to pray over one another. The Bible says pray one for another. I think we ought to link up and I think we ought to pray. And I think we ought to help our brothers build the boundaries in their life that they need. I know that you can't go and physically get that done, but we can pray for strength. Come on, this is a great district. This is a district that cares for one another and that loves one another. And I believe if any church in this district sounded the alarm that you were in trouble, that this entire district would show up and help. Come on, open up your mouth and lay your hand on your neighbor and let's pray one for another. If your children are here, grandchildren, grab them and let's pray for them right now. Lord, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you, Lord, for the boundaries that you put in our life. God, we thank you for holiness. God, we thank you for touch not. God, we thank you for a little bit of taste not. God, we ask you, Lord, that you would help us construct our boundaries, God. Lord, that your spirit would go before us. God, that your spirit would move upon us, God. You tell us, Lord, that you would move upon us, God.
Yeah. Hey.